0: You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcaster Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com.
1: When you hear the words, Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible to be killed masked individual, bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition, episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast, from Two Guys Talking Horror.
2: Friday the 13th, the series, wasn't a program that focused on hockey masks, sharp knives, or sexed-up teens ready to be executed because, well, that's what the script says. The program was propelled by the search, acquisition, and salvage of cursed antiques of all kinds. Dolls, jewelry, baubles, relics. The list could go on forever. While we can lay the reason for the show at all of these cursed items, what we must also remember is that this program was propelled by characters and their interactions with these strange, sage, but devil-ridden
0: items. Jack Marshak. Man of knowledge, referent facts action. Mickey. The redhead, bold and ready for action, not so damsel in distress that gave a strong female role model sample. And? Made us all want to stare at the screen more. And then there's Ryan Dallian. The man that was,
2: well, us. The male demographic watching the show. Us who wanted to be in the show, hunting devilishly cursed antiques. Ryan Dallion, making a difference and keeping everyone safe. It's not every day that you get to chat with the people that have portrayed the characters you wish you could have been, but almost as amazingly as the mystique of this show is, I do believe that the man that conjured Ryan Dallion from page to screen is on our teleconference suite today. That, my friends, is John LeMay connecting with us from a Grand Berg in Idaho. John, welcome to the Curious Kids Podcast.
3: Yes, yes. Happy Halloween to everybody out there. And really nice to talk to you guys. And thank you for all you've done to bring back all these memories from my distant, distant past.
0: We're so happy that we can be a part of bringing those memories back.
3: <laughs> you know, guys, I never, I never got to see the shows while we were making them. It was until later that I actually got to watch episodes
4: mm-hmm.
3: and people always ask me like, well, you know, John, what was your, what were your favorite episodes? And all of my favorite episodes were kind of related to uh, personal experiences I had while, while, while filming them mm. and not really related at all to whether or not the episode actually held together as a whole, um, right. the, the story held up, whether the cursed objects were interesting and all of that stuff you bring to life. Actually, I'm, very grateful that you're going to give me a list of all the best episodes that I can turn on (laughs) my wife to because she's actually not seen half the episodes so
0: I might as well not
3: bore bore her with all of the mediocre ones I'll just hit her up with the, the really good ones
0: the best of the best
3: yeah so I want to thank you guys for that that's great
2: Oh, we we could definitely help you with that. Uh, I again, I know Nick is the horror aficionado, and I also started watching this program with my dad way back when this program started. But we, we we love taking that knowledge and the the again the chemistry set that we're able to create here inside the Curious Kids podcast and share it with everybody. So thank you so much for your words; they really do mean a lot.
3: Yeah, good. I mean them. It's from the heart.
2: And uh, that actually leads us to our very first talking point, which is the lineage of connecting with John LeMay. For those that are curious about Curious Goods, Conjuring a podcast like the one that we make here is almost always just kind of a either pride or boredom project where somebody says, you know, let's do a podcast about insert item. And so very often people spend inordinate amounts of money on technical equipment they probably don't need and then they will make a podcast and eventually it will eventually die and what I've prided myself on now these 15 years later after starting podcasting is that we've been able to take this cool chemistry set and share it across so many different topics and usually when we've had somebody contact us well it's never been the stars it's either been a writer or an Uber fan that knows somebody inside the show that's being shown currently, or maybe even a production designer like Joseph Hodges from 24. And so lo and behold, we got an email inside of our email box, and strangely enough, it was from a John Lemay. Hmm, very interesting. And it was it was very it was a very appreciative message. It said, I "Really like what you do and the education that you spill on people, etc., etc., etc." I sent it over to Nick as I sent over all of our feedback. And, Nick, what did you say?
0: Well, the thing is, is that it, you, you just send me the feedback, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I love, I love hearing from the fans about the show. And I'm reading the email, and I'm like, huh, Jehan LeMay? No. Because I didn't believe it. I, uh, there, there's no way in a million years. I,
2: I didn't either. After having this many years inside of podcasting, my, my very first connection with somebody that was, quote, famous slash made the show was with uh, Joseph Hodges again from 24. And that story goes a little something like this. We get an email, not unlike the one we got from this guy named John LeMay something. And uh, it's from a guy that says, man, I love what you what you do. You talk about the things that no one else talks about. Oh, by the way, my name is Joseph Hodges from 24. And I, I swear I thought it was my coworkers jerking me around, you know, oh, production design. Oh, you're sitting in a, in a lawn chair uh, next to the ocean with an umbrella drink in one hand and an iPod in the other. Yeah, sure you are. W- well, it was. It was him. <laughs> and, and so my, my interaction and chance blows with, with greatness and creating show stuffs so has come almost always in that vein. And so I was much less skeptical when I when I saw this very ordinary message. It said, I like what you do. So we reached out, and not so strangely, John, it was you. It really
3: was you. There you go. There you
2: have it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a ton of fun. And what I also encourage people, especially those of you that are conjuring a new podcast that feel like you don't have any idea what you're doing or that there's no chance in hell for you to ever connect with the people that made or were participating inside the show. There is hope. And there is always the chance that somebody that you are revering inside of your podcast, or maybe that you don't particularly like inside of your podcast is going to hear your podcast. So make it count.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. And,
2: uh, that that's what's, it's been the guiding principle for podcasting for me since the beginning of all of this, which is I am conveying a perspective. i I'm taking my life's knowledge and history and I'm spilling it onto people mm-hmm. while I share the love of whatever the hell I'm talking about inside the podcasts. And uh, again, thanks to you, John, and your entire entourage of fellow actors and creative staffs for making something so incredibly special.
3: Well, I'm constantly surprised and delighted by the afterlife of this uh, this little show that, w- that we did 30 years ago. Oftentimes, people send the emails and say hey did you know that this was happening did you know that this was happening? did you read this link to what's going on <laughs> Or they're talking about your character again or they're talking about the show again and and uh, somebody reached out to me and, and, and turned me on to your podcast and yeah it's like i said i have been i've been enjoying it i've been enjoying the walk down memory lane so again thank you guys yeah
2: that's funny you you and i had connected um it's probably about a month ago maybe a month and a half ago my family and I were out driving, and uh, you had dropped me a, an instant message out of nowhere. And uh, I, I stopped and I called you. And I remember one of the first things that we had talked about is it's it, it's very surreal because when you create a podcast like this, and then you have somebody that was actually in the show calling to to reminisce about what you've said is is a ton of fun. And uh, again, it's that it's that inspirational note to all of you out there that are doing a podcast that. Are just wondering when and or if it's going to happen well it can happen and it is so enriching so please continue your efforts as podcasters out there Well, we've talked enough about connecting let's jump into the the pieces parts of getting the part is ryan Dallion, i i don't think everybody knows how you were already in acting and then got that part why don't you why don't you share that with us
3: well i've been acting for forever and and uh started in high school, like you, Nick.
4: Mm, um, yes.
3: Musical musical theater was my deal. I wanted to be um, you know, a song and dance man. So that was the direction that I was going. I went to Chicago after I actually got an internship my senior year of college for the theater in Chicago and was there for, oh, about six months doing some musicals, helping run a theater and meeting agents and auditioning for commercials. I got a couple of quick commercials right away. That brought a little bit of attention to me and wasn't long after that that I uh, was asked to, to go out to Los Angeles, and I got to be with a you know I got a red carpet treatment. I was very very fortunate. And then I got my first gig with Facts of Life. Second gig was Remington Steel and Twilight Zones. I did a couple episodes of those, but but they were just little dribbles and, and drabs. And you know yeah. you kind of you're really hoping for that big score. And about three years later. I was wondering if it was ever going to happen, and I was looking for answers anywhere. And a friend of mine was in town, uh, another curious soul like myself, and we heard about this spiritualist center. There was this crazy spiritualist center in, on, on what was it, Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. Mm. It was an old house, an old bungalow, and you'd go there on Sunday. And they, they, were, they advertised on the back of this bus stop, this bus seat in Hollywood. And we went there just out of curiosity. And it's a strange deal where everybody's sitting on folding chairs and there's an old oak table that's acting as kind of the altar in front. And oh, wow, they're communicating with, with spirits. And at one point, we were asked to, on a piece of paper, write, write a question and put it in, a, in this box. And um, they took the box up to the front. Of course, my question was, when is this damn thing ever going to happen for me? When is this career thing ever going to take off?
4: Right. right,
3: right. And lo and behold, they picked my question out and read it. I don't know if they read it. You know, they identified me as somehow I knew they were responding to my question. Mm-hmm. And they said, Hmm, you know, kind of putting it up to their forehead, Kreskin like, you know, <laughs> and I see you moving. I see you moving back East. I see you getting a job and moving back East. And so, amazingly enough, I ended up getting a job and moving back east. It's amazing the power <laughs> of suggestion. So any audition I went to after that that, um, that required a shoot in New York or on the east coast anywhere, I just figured that that was, that was this is it. This is, this is the job, right? This is what I've been waiting for. Lo and behold, it took a little bit longer than I thought, but Friday the 13th came around. And, and do you, do you remember
2: where you first saw the listing for this show, John?
3: Well, my agent called me. Mm, and okay. you know we have an audition for you i was going out you know i was I was with a really good agent and going out daily on really big projects this was one of them
0: i want to know about actually having to operate in canada back in the 80s before things got ironed out where film where filmmaking was concerned because nowadays everybody's shooting in canada and they've got very strict rules and regulations, but back then, from what I understand, it was like the Wild West.
3: Uh, yeah, that's a really good question, and I'd love to talk about that. It was kind of the Wild West when we went there in 1988. Syndication—the the, whole—the whole idea of syndication wasn't really a thing, really, until honestly this and, and Star Trek, um, yeah. which were which were bundled together and sold by Paramount as a. You got to buy. If you're going to buy Star Trek, you've got to buy this thing called Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> so our sh- our show didn't really have, you know, this show was really lucky to be on for as long as it was. Um, it didn't have the same pressures that a network show would have. Mm-hmm. It just didn't. It, we we it was pre-sold, so basically all the money was in. They just had to deliver 26 episodes a year, and they were they were done. We didn't have ratings that we had to meet in order to get picked up again. And both Roby and Chris and I, we all signed uh, seven year contracts, so they were expecting us wow. to you yeah, know, possibly amazing. go on for up to seven years. And I landed in Canada. They put me up in you know, temporary housing. Mm-hmm. They had us working at CTV. CTV was you know uh, Canadian TV, I guess is there is like their CBS right And they had some. They had a newer building out, out in the suburbs, and we were shooting most of the first season there in one of their sound studios. And then, I think halfway through that first year, or maybe into the second year, they converted this old, old, looked like turn-of-the-century warehouse district into their new studios. I mean, mm. this was... Kind of like light manufacturing and old brick buildings i'm sure it was toxic what, what, whatever we were working on every day i'm sure was a toxic environment but they they converted this, this these old warehouses into sound studios and that's where us and then later war of the worlds both shot our our shows so so this was kind of the infancy of productions coming from the u.s um and, you know certainly productions had come before but really after this it really started to snowball and yeah. now you've got this wonderful i think they have a really uh, amazing facility that right there on the water on, on lake ontario now where they film stuff like ship's creek mm-hmm. and all that stuff well by the way the woman who played my mom in the prophecy she i just saw her in ship's creek i saw the final season of Ship creek and there she was oh wow wow okay it's wonder- yeah, so amazing because it, we, we, old-
2: we just finished that episode actually so that's that's funny
3: yeah wonderful to see some of my old actor friends on shows like that that's
0: I, amazing i actually get a kick out of rewatching this show and going like oh yeah i remember that actor from this 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 and this
3: Mm-hmm. yeah and you wonder why we re- repeated actors in some of the, the villain roles. There were there was a good acting pool in, in, in Canada, but mm-hmm. it, it's on the smaller side, you know? And I think there were a few go-to actors back then that everybody just thought were the bomb. And yeah. they just, you know, if they worked for the role, let's go with it. And we were only allowed, I think, because of Canadian content rules only... I was the only American actor on the show. And then we were only allowed, I think, one... American guest star per episode if I'm not mistaken wow that,
2: that's a very interesting aspect did that impact you at all that you were the only American actor and that you had the requirements of blah
3: no I mean I just think that was the Canadian union's rules mm-hmm. and uh, that's what they that's what they stuck to there was a, there was and the and the government they did have Canadian content rules where the majority of a production if it's being shot here whether or not it's funded from America or not has to be supplied by Canadian talent, Canadian crews. I had to get a special, you know, dispensation from the government to even work and, and live there. They, they, like, uh, it was, it was. they had to sign some kind of paper that said nobody else in the world to do what John wants to do. That's why John <laughs> has to come to Canada
0: I have special permission from the Canadian government to be here. Thank you very felt- much.
3: It felt very, very special, and I, I, I still I still consider myself a honorary Canadian to this day.
0: There you go.
2: So we get into the show and give us the snapshot of of, of a show day. Uh, I, I, I'm super curious.
3: One episode we had about we had I think there were seven day. I think we shot in seven seven to ten days. Mm-hmm. We were always working on two episodes at a time, minimum. Mm. Wow. And the shots at the Curious Goods were kind of held off until the end of all the other of all the other shoots, depending on whether or not we were shooting the rest of the week in the daytime or at night.
0: Oh yeah. Um, yeah.
3: so if we're shooting mostly if 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 most of the episode takes place at night, then we're getting to set at, at sundown and we're working through the night. And then at the end of the week we would come in and to keep on schedule, we might be doing those Curious good setup scenes, those expositional scenes, all through the night. And then they'd pull you away from those and and, and grab you and take your arm and use it for a B-roll from the last episode that they didn't quite get like this. They didn't get you grabbing the pipe, right? We need to take we need to get your hand and, and the wardrobe would come and they'd put on the same wardrobe that you had last week and you'd be kind of just ushered over like a zombie in the middle of the night and asked to have your hand reach into a shot and pull out the pipe or whatever that was. And we were oftentimes switching back day for night, night for day throughout the week. We were seeing the sunrise quite often. The comparison
2: between working on a, on a set in, in a situation in America versus what you had going on there in Canada. Give us the, give us the perspective of that real quick.
3: I, I worked on a few shows in the States before I, before I, I got this show and it just seems pretty darn glamorous. I mean, back when I first started I remember the first set I walked onto. you know, you go to the craft service table. this is how long ago this was. <laughs> you would have all the kind of food that you'd want to eat, but they'd also have a whole case that they'd open up, and you could get any pack of cigarettes you wanted. This was before oh, they wow. allowing smoking on the set. Right. but you know, you were going on to these these old. Lots, these old storied movie lots and TV lots, um, Mary Tyler Moore Studios, MTM, just filled with history and um, hustle and bustle and shiny commissaries. And here uh, we were on Lansdowne in Toronto, this old, like I said, light, light manufacturing, a whole square block that was converted into our temporary studios to shoot Friday the 13th. We actually used a lot of those, those nooks and crannies of that of that lot for, for creepy backgrounds. And yeah, Nick, Nick, Nick creepy and I. Locations.
2: Yeah, Nick and I often identify that uh, many of the things used inside of background filler for a, a quick look from the incredibly dramatic-looking Jack Marshak look very much like a background from four or five episodes
3: ago. <laughs> very, very much so. That would be that would be that B-roll that I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, yeah. They'd come back and grab because they didn't get it in the initial shoot. That kind of stuff.
0: Gotta love the set dressing and the B roll. Talk about
3: locations, though. I mean, when they when we filmed this, all of these locations were kind of pristine. I mean, you now see them over and over and over again because it's hard to hide Toronto <laughs> right. um, from 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 a lot of these a lot of the new shows that are out now. But but back then, I mean, for instance, the prophecy. We went up to. Quebec City. I mean, just a charming French town. Yeah. Um, and all, all of that stuff was real. All of it was there. Even the nuns were real. We used real nuns.
0: Authentic it nuns. Was,
3: it was a pretty, that's pretty authentic. That's <laughs> authentic. But yeah, so I got to know Toronto in ways that people that live there didn't even get to experience Toronto. We just, we, we just, we made our way around that city and we took advantage of some of the best locations there for
2: sure uh, well, there's no doubt that's one of the things that Nick and I have both referred to inside of both our first and second episode reviews for that that two-parter the chubby parter is what we're calling it, it it's just amazing there are so many episodes inside of this show that being able to go on location and be able to garner the luxury and the, the fostering of storytelling based on an actual location that is not only not green screen but just looking at it, it has its own story that has nothing to do with your story, and it instantly makes you curious about what you're watching. I-, I love that. I love that in any storytelling.
3: And it makes it really easy for an actor. I mean, we're not having to imagine that this is a, a, a real place that we're standing in. It is a real place you're standing in. Right. Um, the challenge for an actor on this show was, you know, the special effects, I think. Mm. A lot of them were, were, were terrific, but we had no idea what they were going to look like in the final edit. Right. We had no idea. We were just told that it would look like this. And sometimes as an actor, you, you're able to match what they, what they had in mind. And other times you were, you seemed maybe a little underwhelmed with what they
4: gave you, <laughs> you know, um,
3: depending on, on how it turned out in post, you know. They could make you look really good or they could make you look, you know, not so good. Yeah.
0: Why is Ryan looking at the melting man like it smells really bad? I would be <laughs> freaking out right now. Which episode is this? Um, that was ju- that was just me making oh, it. Oh, that's
3: just a general, yeah. I just pulled it
0: right out of the here. air.
3: I got to tell you, they they the first episodes, one of the first episodes. What was it? The poison pen. Um, the oh, yeah. bed starts to come down on to one of the friars or whatever, and it's going to suffocate him, right? Mm-hmm. And th- and there I am. Looking very David Duchovny, kind of like, oh, ooh, oh, this, ooh, you know, kind of stone-faced about this. That's bad, but I don't want to be too scared. Right, um, right. Th- the producers actually had they did they did come up to me during that particular episode, <laughs> the second episode we shot, and said, "All right, John, we'd like you to be just." We got the word from on high that they'd like you to be a little more scared when oh. you see the scary stuff. <laughs> okay, so That's I had cool. I had to figure out how to how to come up with better scary looks so if you go to my uh, facebook page there's a whole little section there john uh, de la scary looks and it's <laughs> one through like i think we're up to 37 now oh 37 different looks. and That's i was just awesome. able to repeat those scary looks depending on what i was supposed to be seeing yeah i'm I, just I, kidding you I I, I,
2: yeah, I I thought they were you were going to tell us that they had to reel you in because you were so emotive
3: well, that's it. So what do you do? Do you, go too, do you go too far with that, or do you not do enough? I was playing it safe initially, they wanted more. I gave them more. Sometimes well, sometimes that got to be a little, a little hammy. We'll see.
0: Yeah, true. You know?
3: when, uh, when you knew you were you getting— You never know if you're going to be too hammy until it's all done, right? You mm-hmm. never know if you're going to be over the top. I mean, here I am, this typical guy in, a, in extraordinary circumstances, and you're right. What would they—how would they react? especially as the series went on, right? I mean, right. you started right. to see a lot of different things, right? You've you've been you're you're more you're more seasoned, right? You've seen it all.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. Now you just have that long that that far away look like a like a beat cop who has seen it all. Yeah. You know, once you see that melting man, now it's just, "Oh, after this is my 17th melting man, <laughs> and it never gets easy."
3: Yet another melting man. Another
0: melting man.
2: Now now that we've waxed philosophic about what's going on inside the show, I think everyone wants to know exactly what happened on the Vanity episode. So please do fill us in. (laughs)
3: That that wouldn't happen to be your favorite episode for any particular reason there. I
2: I, I have no idea what you're referring to, John. It, it it was a it was a striking episode let me let me be plain there was some goofy Facebook thing that I responded to the other day. please put in who you think your favorite childhood crush was um let me think real long and hard about that. I don't have to think real hard because wow vanity what what what, what was that like? Tell me about that episode and your your general standing next to vanity.
3: Do I have any memories from that show? I have. I'm, I'm disappointed that I didn't get to work with Vanity more, I guess would be my only take on that, on that episode. I really only had a, one day or two days worth of work with her. Mm. It's funny. Some of the, some of the episodes are, you get, to, you get to spend a lot of time working with the, with the, uh, the guest stars and other ones not so much. But she was, she was so sweet. And I know Roby was really, really thrilled. Roby... Was a singer herself, mm-hmm. and I think she was. She was kind of thrilled to have Vanity on the show, mm. um, and we all were. I mean, it was. She, she was. Everybody knew who she was. It was cool. <laughs> I and, wish I had more and? to give you, Mike. I wish I could, I could give you some more insights to uh, to uh, to, sati- to satisfy that. That thirsting quench in your little brain there, but I got nothing for
2: you. That's it. Our our hunt is gonna have to continue, Nick. We must find this the secret hidden stories of vanity from Friday the thirteenth the series.
0: I don't know what all this we is <laughs> you're talking about here, but Sure, Mike. Why don't we uh why don't we transition
2: from Mike's obvious affinity to vanity? And what we'll transition to is the last two episodes that you were featured in, which is something that Nick and I just finished uh, reviewing. The first episode, The Prophecies Part 1, just went out this week. Uh, and then we've just finished recording Prophecies Part 2 this morning. And so we we are we are so excited that we have you here to talk all things that happened inside of The Prophecies Part 1 and 2. I think uh, you've glanced on one of the first ones, which is the location. The location was stellar, as were the people. Uh, there's a there's a quick joke inside the the storytelling, and in then inside of our bullet points for the episode, where we start talking about the eyebrows of the innkeeper. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> assuming that that was just a pull of some of the people that were in, I guess, inside the the inn. You're you're suggesting
3: that those guys were real too. I know that some of the nuns were real.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: All the rest of the folks, I'm sure, were. Were actors they were just you mm. know, quebecois actors so it was a different pool of actors i'm sure they drew from a lot of french-speaking actors in uh quebec mm-hmm. but boy you're right didn't they didn't they pepper that with that
2: yeah, was
0: amazing
3: and the, how about the blind guy on the street with how the, oh. about the blind guy
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah talk about Some stealing really, a scene
3: and how scary was that scene in the the sane asylum. I mean, crucifying somebody with big old needles, syringes. What, geez, yeah, geez. yeah,
2: yeah. Nutty. The, um, the, the 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 whole thing was just. I, I always, whenever I refer to Steven Spielberg content, I always say it's incredibly immersive, because regardless of the genre, regardless of the story, regardless of the characters being showcased, you can close your eyes, open your open your eyes again while watching a Spielberg film, and you are instantly catapulted into whatever the hell he's showing whether it's War of the Worlds, whether it's Schindler's List, whether it's E.T., you are instantly transported into this atmosphere. And those two episodes, they really do immerse you in what's going on around you. And I thought it was spectacular.
3: Yeah, no, it was a, it was a treat. It was a treat. To, I'd never been to Quebec City. It was just, I wish I had more time to hang out there. We were staying at the Hotel Fond du Lac, and a lot of these scenes were shot in actual convents or, um, like, holy places. Mm. And I don't think that they quite understood what we were doing in those places. I Imagine think, that. In fact, I, I think we kind of kept it on the QT <laughs> while we were filming. Were you able to keep your devil-ridden eye... Gl- uh, uh,
0: the Scolaro lenses? Yeah, were you able to keep my that contact, on the government? My
3: contact lenses, I wore them for, like, four Halloweens after that until <laughs> they finally ripped. And I couldn't wear them
0: anymore. They were the
2: best, weren't they? Oh yeah! It was it was beyond awesome, dude. Just the oh uh,
3: beyond awesome. I finally got to do exact. I finally got to be like a uh, one of the guest stars. You know, one of the <laughs> villains. It was yeah. so much fun. Yeah, there,
2: there, there's a couple of episodes prior to this where either Ryan is enchanted or Ryan is in deep throng want of something akin to my anamorous visions of vanity Uh, but inside those episodes those are the ones where we expected you to do something like that and to see you absolutely be able to unleash was spectacular
3: this one was fun for sure i had a i had a good time chewing some scenery on this one that's for sure amen
2: yeah chewing scenery is totally appropriate
3: you can't be over the. you know that's that's the other thing about you know we did we kind of did joke about you know, being over, over the top with being scared of, of melting faces and stuff like that. Ultimately, you really can't be over the top when you're seeing these horrific things. You know, if you've got a special effects that turns out to be underwhelming and you're over the top, then you look a little weird, you yeah. know. But, but for the most part, my God, considering the time that this show was made, that special effects, they, I thought they held up. And I thought they, they, certainly, they certainly were fun at the time. Right. If they don't, if they don't completely hold up now, they were certainly fun then.
2: They they, they do, and I think uh, one of the other pieces, and th- these this t- this chubby parter episode is a great sample. But there are so many inside of the show's run where they're grabbing a piece of culture out of a completely different culture and then presenting it forefront in the camera. Th- th- is that something you guys ever thought about while you were making the show, or was it just and now this one's going to be about something voodoo related? Or
3: well, you talk about voodoo mambo or. Like you know wasn't there a
0: shaman's apprentice
3: every one of these is stolen from a popular movie or something that that was that was parallel to it in time, so the amish one the the one the one where you know that that was a direct steal from the harrison ford witness um, <laughs> the witness movie so that, you know that so so you're using the milieu that was kind of popularized in a film mm. um, so if you look at just about every one of these episodes there's there's a film that, that takes that same kind of milieu, or, or the just the feel, and you we just. I think they were, you know, you're looking for ideas, hmm. and yeah. half of half of a story idea is setting it, you know, setting setting the table. Well, and I, um, and and I then, love that.
2: I I think that there are far too many programs nowadays that are not only formulaic, but they don't like they don't energize your brain. They 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 are just presented. They wait for the 42-minute countdown, and then you're done, and then you move on to the next one, and there's no remnant of any, anything worth of value in it. And that's what I really appreciated about a lot of the episodes in this show.
3: Yeah, I think the writers did a fantastic job, given you know, the, the, how fast they had to churn these things out.
4: It's oh, yeah. just amazing.
3: I think it is a shortcut you know, to take a popular movie like Witness and go, hey, what if we had our three heroes— go back to some kind of a, you know, a village. We can't call them, you know, Amish. We'll call them Penetite. So they're just brainstorming. Through that, they come up with a weekly, come up with a, a whole story around that. It's pretty, pretty amazing that what they were able to do, I think.
2: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed all of it. And while there were all kinds of amazing things going on here, you were wrapped inside of it, and there was a, there was a yearn for something more.
3: Why don't you tell us more about that? You're talking about my my, uh, my exit from the show, my wanting to leave?
2: It's more about the time before you wanted to leave, actually. When you're when you're two years into a seven year contract and you look at you take a, a, a quick inventory of the situations and the events that are going on around you and the bubble that you've created as an actor at whatever how old were you then? Do you remember?
3: I was twenty five.
2: So a 25-year-old actor that's created this bubble of your current atmosphere. Tell us how the yearn for something more begins to jump in there.
3: It, it, was, a, it was a bubble. I mean, we were spending so much time together, cast and crew and uh, production, that it's an insular bubble. I mean, it, 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 it's all-encompassing. It takes, up, uh, it takes up all of your time. Uh, you may be making decent money, but you don't have time to spend it. You can go anywhere. Uh, Because you're constantly, constantly working so much so that you didn't even have time to to see the episodes. They'd have to show them over lunch break to the to the crew so they could see them Mm. because we just weren't home. Right. Most of the time. But my desire to be the best actor I could be was always paramount to me. And um, I was idealistic. And the first year that I was on the show, I was amazed walking into that bubble. And how easy it was for me to draw from myself, to rise to the occasion. Whatever the writers gave me, I was able to somehow manifest that. And I can only attribute that to the support that 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 bubble gave me. Mm. These folks believed I could do it. I was hired to do it. And that was an incredible feeling. And I'm very proud of the work that I did while I was on the show. But after a while... I felt, I think I was insecure about my abilities to have a solid technique under all this. Hmm. So they were giving me the wings to fly on to get to where I needed to get as an actor. But I, I wanted it to be more than just them. I wanted to have it, you know, within myself, I think. And I was afraid I was picking up bad habits along the way because there's a certain amount of self-preservation that goes on um, sure. when you're in a situation like that hmm. where you're right. working constantly and... So a lot of the scenes were no acting required scenes, you know, you just have to be there and walking through frame or, or breathing heavy and looking somewhere. And it felt like I was felt like I was cheating myself. I felt like in spite of all of the training I had, uh, years and years of doing plays and studying theater in university and it just felt like it felt like I was Going to be trapped in this this same character. I was starting to be jealous of the of the character actors who'd come on the show. They'd come on for a week and and then they'd leave mm-hmm. and uh, go on and do another character. And that was really what I, you know, my idealistic self wanted to be. I wanted to be an actor's actor. And, and uh, yeah. And yeah, a seven year contract looked forever
2: for me Um, well dude at at 25 i think uh, that's one of the other pieces here that I, i know i'm totally appreciative that's why i'm really excited about being able to talk to you now because as a 50 year old man talking to a now 58 year old man being able to look back at the cone of your life is something that i also have always inserted as a piece of my podcast history but also as a roadmap inside of everything that we do inside of podcasting Again, I, I love this perspective because for those of you that are listening to this podcast, that maybe you are 25 or maybe you are an actor that doesn't know exactly what you want to be doing either with your life or inside of your acting career or whatever career you've chosen. There are those moments where you do have to consider that yearn for something either more or something different. And then you have to charge forward. You have to make a move. And that's that's kind of where we get to inside of this point of the conversation, is that I'm so proud of you that you were able to make a move that really doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for a lot of people. But now looking back at your life, you know that it was exactly what you needed to be doing at the time.
3: Well, I don't know if it was exactly what I needed to be doing at the time, Mike. <laughs> I, you know, look, I I wish I had the tools to continue. And certainly, you know, if I'd have known that the show would end in another 20 episodes, i I maybe could have steeled myself to <laughs> to continue uh-huh. but but it's uh it was a really hard decision. I was I was here. I've been wanting to do this my entire life and and I finally get the opportunity to do it and I find out that it's not what I had hoped it would be and I was somehow unhappy and my agent heard that in my voice and said, "Hey, I can get you out of this. Do you want to do that?" and I said, yeah yeah I think I do, you know, and for yeah, I had no place to go It's not like i was it's not like I was running away from this to to go do anything you know that was grand. I was just trying to figure out what it is I want to do for the rest of my life, whether or not I still want to continue to act, whether or not there's something else out there for me. that's what led me to the decision for sure oh, that's uh, yeah, great. there was no ulterior motive there was no i just had I just knew that I had to. Change it up and figure out for myself what was ultimately going to make me happy.
0: Right. You know. Well, I think I think from from an actor standpoint, I think I can say this with confidence that we all want to have that leading role. We all want to be in the spotlight. But then when we see other actors having fun doing the smaller yet meteor parts, there is that that uh, the, the green eyed monster. The jealousy will raise up and go like hmm, am I doing the right thing? Should I be the leading man or can I be the character actor? Which one is going to make me happy? Yeah. And I I went through that a lot because, you know, high school and my college years, I'm getting leading roles. And I'm like, okay, my shit don't stink. Then I get out into the real world and realize, oh, this is completely different. I don't know if I really like it like this
3: yeah yeah, I concur that's what that's what happened to me and it, like I said, it was a very difficult choice, a uh, very difficult decision to make yeah but I think you know ultimately one that I had to make i I didn't have a choice yeah at the time. yeah but yes, I wish I would have had maybe a mentor who could have had me look at how I could grow within this environment, how mm-hmm. I could still continue to grow and evolve as an actor, um, given the limitations of the working conditions, which you know, didn't always allow you to be capable of doing the best work you, you you know you could could because of you know the fact that they were rousing you up out of a sound sleep at three in the morning and putting right. you in front of the camera, especially for the fans that uh, that I've met along the way. I, I feel you know I feel I feel bad that that uh, I wasn't able to to continue with the show with all of these people who have told me over the years, how much my character or the show has influenced them, gotten them through hard times. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very thankful for, for the experience. That's basically what happened as far as me leaving the show.
2: That's very interesting as we run into the leaving the show discussion. I think uh, one of the things Nick and I talked about inside of our, it's kind of a sneak peek for those of you that haven't listened to the second episode review of the prophecies part two, both between the first and second episodes as they're, as they're presented is the care that the creative staff gave your character while leaving the show. I I think that if we look at uh, Hollywood in general, especially when there is a very sour taste left, whether either the actor just is leaving because they want more money or, they're, they don't feel appreciated or insert scenario where it's mostly negative and it's sour. The off that your character was offered here, I think, is one of the best and most tremendous samples of story writing that I've seen that complements a character that's leaving the show.
3: Yeah, was, I think they they gave me an ending that the, the show wasn't fortunate enough to get. I got a nice little wraparound. And I think, you know, look, I don't think there was any hard feelings on the part of my my writer friends on the show i think mm-hmm. they all understood what my reasonings were in spite of the fact that i was making their job that much more difficult i think <laughs> they they took it on as a challenge and and i thank them for gently ushering me out of the show
2: and they I, again the total tip of the writing cap to the people that wrote you out of the show because for all the for all the samples of actors that we've had leave a show and they fall into a you know a a pool of magma (laughs) it it was great for you to actually get some chops on your way out with an endearing story at the end of it I, I I really did appreciate that
3: yeah believe me I did too thanks
2: we're running a little bit long here during this wonderful interview with John LeMay Ryan Dallion from uh, the show that all of us are here in in appreciation of, Friday the 13th, the series. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back.
1: Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm. A one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com.
0: What comes to mind when you hear the word horror? Is it a book you read in the dead of night that creeped you out? Is it the memories of the monsters you were sure lived under your bed? Is it a film filled with blood and gore all thanks to a crazed killer? Join me, Nicholas J. Hearn, and my guests as we ask the really terrifying question, What scares you? Only on Two Guys Talking Horror. TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com That's TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com Make your podcast soar with the editor core. Editing podcasts can be rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content and they're ready for yours now. Check out editorcore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. editorcore.com, that's editorcore.com.
2: Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Kids podcast and always fun review of Friday the 13th, the series episode by episode. This time we're focusing on a chat with Ryan Dalian's alter ego, John LeMay. John, welcome
0: back. Thank you. Good to be back. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> He's still on the phone. He amazing. didn't leave while we went to commercials. It's
2: amazing. So, I'm here, I'm here. So, so we got done with the discussion of you leaving the show and the mindset of where you were, which leads us to the questions that always linger, which is what we call Ryan's fact. It's the frequently asked questions of Ryan's either leaving the show or the questions about what Ryan slash John LeMay had done after the show. What did you do after this, after you were done with this show? Well, my
3: original goal was to go to New York and... You know, every actor needs to go to New York, right? And mm. if you want to be taken seriously as an actor, New York's the place to go. Mm-hmm. I ended up not doing that. I ended up hanging out uh, at baseball parks. I did a baseball park tour for really? a little while. Again, just trying to figure out, you know, why, did, why the hell did I just do what I just did? I, <laughs> I. leave a, you know, a television series. What the hell were you thinking? Ended up back in Los Angeles. And I did enroll in a two-year Meisner acting program. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that would, that would be what I did after the show. I kept auditioning for various various roles. And the one thing I always thought I could hopefully depend upon was, was the money from commercials. Mm-hmm. I, did, I was able to still continue to have a successful commercial career. On, and at that time, it was a pretty uh, lucrative proposition you could you could do a couple of three commercials a year and and make a living i took that money and, and put it toward a two-year acting program and also hopped around from theater company to theater company as well so doing, doing live theater and and subsidizing that with the money i made from commercials subsidizing that and the, the acting class
0: as an actor i i i need to know this i don't know if mike cares but i need to know this as an actor what do you prefer stage or screen
3: well, everybody, every actor will tell you that they prefer stage
0: um, right. over
3: screen. There's, there's just this. I saw my first play when I was oh nine years old in mm-hmm. this little black box theater at Illinois State University, and I was amazed as an audience member that I was watching these folks on stage pretending to be somebody completely different than who they were. Yeah, and and I was breathing the same air that they were breathing, like I was right there with them. And that is just—that's just an amazing thing. So, for an extended period of time, for you as an actor to be on stage with somebody else, making eye contact, making connections—it just doesn't get any better than that. There's so much stop and start with film, right? That it—it it, makes—and—and and, and the audience is, is the camera crew, and quite frankly, they could probably care less. So there's True. nothing yeah. for you. To to feed off of. Uh, and there is a relationship. You are breathing the same air as the audience. And that relationship is invaluable and very satisfying. So there you go. There's the answer to that. Yeah.
0: What do you think, Nick? Well, I I actually I have to I I agree with you one hundred percent, but the difference for me is I enjoy film work. For a different reason, because now I have the ability to try as many things as I want to try without having to worry about going, oh, damn it, I just screwed that up, but the show must go on. There's there's an electrical charge when your feet hit the boards and you're living off of that reaction from the audience, whether it, it be you've done something funny and they're laughing or there's been a surprise and a shock and they go, oh. you're living off of that, but I enjoy the fact that in film I have a safety net to where oh I can do that again. I can do that again whereas in, in it's it's literally the fear, the fear of screwing up something on stage is what drives you and it can become somewhat intoxicating living off of that fear because then you want you want to experience that more and more. And I have a very yeah. addictive personality. So, I needed to get away from feeding off of the the teat of fear from uh, from stage acting for a while because it, uh, it 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 got to me. It got to me.
3: Well, it is. It's a special skill to be able to to push forward even after you didn't hit the mark you wanted to hit on mm-hmm. um, yeah. stage. You know, even if something fell a little short for you. But really, I think it comes down to that ability to just that ability to, to let all of that go, all of that planning go, and just be in this space with, with your fellow actors. Flow and, and, with oh, it, and, of yeah. course, the, pro- the process of getting to that is, is just so exciting, and you don't get that in, in film and TV. But I certainly, I certainly loved learning the craft of, of TV and film. It, it is special in that you can just, you can just stop in the middle of it and say, starting over, and take a deep breath, and go back and do it, do that line right you know over again, especially right. if it if it's your close up you know you can, <laughs> and you can you can you can get really really proficient at at the little tricks. Ray Walston taught me more and more tricks, I think on the show, of course, Chris Wiggins taught me the most, but yeah Ray Walston, boy, he would sit up in front of the camera and he would just he would just take control. it was his shot, and he was going to. He was going to deliver, uh, <laughs> and he had all of these wonderful ways of, of communicating to the, to the crew that, nope, I'm stopping. I'm giving it to you again. Stopping. going to give it to you one more time. Mm. So he would just do little series of, of takes and, uh, I guess, leave it up to the editor. Those also, though, are the, are the kind of little tricks that made me a little skeptical of the medium to mm. a certain degree, too, because I felt like the underpinning wasn't necessarily there how could it be you know
0: right
3: as an actor
2: when you hear something like director Clint Eastwood directing a film where there's literally no action there's no they eventually just come to a stop when the storytelling is exhausted and then they move on to a next scene or they'll say okay let's try it again and there's never any actual action point how how do you how does that impact you as an actor
3: you're saying that he actually never says action he just kind of lets the camera roll and, and people feel it when they, when they feel it.
2: Right. And, and so how does, how does that strike you as an actor?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's a certain amount of trust that you have. And you know, that word action kind of, kind of does throw you into this. Okay. Now now I gotta do it. Now I gotta, you know, now (laughs) I have to perform, you know, and you know, the beautiful thing about film is performances become so, I think this is another reason why I, I kind of was uncomfortable with, with working regularly in film, is that you really just do have to get in touch with being present and in the moment, which was hard for me as an actor, you know, especially a musical theater actor, who had to you know, always find his beats and his moments and hit those moments. Mm. But the requirements of television and film are just about you, drawing on some very deep places in your being and being able to be comfortable exposing those to the world. And it just sometimes doesn't feel like acting, right? It just feels like you can get good at, at, at drawing out those, those, those emotions and being honest and, and present. But I, 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 I was under the mistaken impression, I think, back then that you had to really churn out the work in order to get to the place you needed to get to, and mm. I think, I think that's a mis- that's a falsehood. I think I, I think I was you know an incredible competent actor at the time I was doing that show. Uh, I just didn't trust it. I didn't trust it in myself. Yeah, yeah that's, Does
2: that make sense? That that does make yeah. sense. And uh, again, while I don't have the acting and street cred that both of you do, uh, the acting that I did do in in high school and then into my first couple of years of college. I mirror some of that. There's always that doubt. There's always that when you do get the first front-end lead role, Mm. that there is an embiggening of one's brain. I I, I totally drift into all of that. And I think it's why learning of something like Clint Eastwood's direction and that there is no action, there's just a series of people in place, and then it just happens. Something like that is incredibly endearing, especially – Uh, The the plays that I start in were all very scenario driven, very inside the box. My the one that I got the awards for was something called a Battle of Wits, and it's essentially me and Kabuki, and so it's it was a very strange play, but it was a ton of fun. I want to
0: see pictures of this now. I I, I have them. I have them, and I will. I definitely want to see pictures.
2: I I will shower you with roll tape.
3: Roll tape, please.
2: It was a ton of fun, and I, I I so miss my acting stuffs because it's funny how life kind of comes full circle. And when I sit in front of the mics, I absolutely am able to take on at least a little bit of what I had back then and mm. showcase it to people. So I get I get to dance a little bit with the devil, just not nearly as much as you guys have. So <laughs> that, that that's very fun. One of the largest questions I think we've ever seen inside of either online forums. Or really, some of the little natural conversations that Nick and I have are: What impacts you the most these many years later now from your interactions with Chris Wiggins, Jack Marshak?
3: When I think of Chris, I just think of class. The guy was just—he was just old school, old world class, and mm. he embodied it. And I looked up to him tremendously. He did Hamlet. In Dallas, in like nineteen fifty-six, he went first time he had us over, Roby and I, over for dinner. He pulled out this eight by ten photo of him, of him holding, holding the skull, right, and as 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 Hamlet. And this young man, he was, I think it was probably the proudest, you know, the proudest job he ever had. I think he was more proud of that job than any other he had. But the consummate professional, and boy, knew his way. Knew his way around a set and taught me everything I learned in that first year.
2: he's he's tremendous. His his light inside of this series that is often wonderfully mirrored by Nick's impression slash conjuring of Chris
0: is just
2: so much fun inside this show.
0: Uh, I don't even look at it as an impression. I, I we might you embody him. We might play play fun while we're doing. The retellings just for entertainment value, mm-hmm. but when I do yeah. when I do my Jack Marshack, I'm doing it seriously. Well, it shows because daughter. because that character has to be taken seriously. You
3: no, know, he was the he was the gold in, in in that in that show. I mean, there's no oh, two yeah. ways about it. His the underpinning of him gave it a gravitas that mm. a couple of cousins really would have a hard time bringing on their own. And yeah, he. I, in my opinion, he really he really was the show. Yeah,
2: I, I, his his ability to reference his massive storage bank of clipped out newspapers and leather bound books is is it's epic. It's it's a piece of the the character milieu that's created inside of storytelling that is always fun to go back to. Nobody doesn't yeah. like the dude that can go and grab and whip out facts that propels the story. Doesn't matter what story it is, doesn't matter if it's a movie or television series, any, any type you can go back to the either the dude in the chair or the dude that's got the books. Or yeah, he's the, the storyteller. Right. He's the, he's
0: the sage that you go to see yes. to get the wisdom that you need for the episode.
2: Yeah, and it's brilliant. And every time they were able to put him centerpiece, the, the samples will be inside of where you get to meet his soon-to-die war mates from special forces.
0: Ah, the butcher.
2: Uh, all, all of that was just such a wonderful tapestry that was being painted for his character. And that makes me just wish that there had been those those seven whole years of us being able to see Jack Marshak and Jack Marshak's not only existing life, but previous iterations of his life. I think it just would have been magic.
0: Well, that leads me to the another a question. I wanted to know how much interaction did you and the rest of the main cast have with the writing staff about your characters,
3: oh, they would they would show up on set quite often, and hmm. and they initially they loved our input anytime. time. Cool, okay, I, that's I'm, nice to know. They they really were. I mean, uh, I mean, I didn't make any. None of us made any. I don't think we made any suggestions about you know what direction our character should go. It was always such a thrill to get the script.
4: Hmm. Yeah,
3: um, the week you're shooting two other episodes, right? You're shooting, you're shooting one and you're doing pickups for another and you're getting the script for the next one and you're reading it. And what a thrill to turn the page, page after page and try and, and discover where your character was going to go this week. Oh my gosh. And I was always, I always felt very kind of, of honored that they kept, they kept allowing my character to dig deeper and, and, and explore more of himself and expose more of himself and, and, I felt, like, I felt like there was a certain amount of trust that they had in me, that they could, that they could give me kind of challenging material and, and that I would be able to rise to the occasion. I, uh, and I was constantly amazed that I was able to rise to the occasion myself. And, again, I, I give complete credit to, to the environment that that bubble initially, you know, that, that bubble created right. that confidence in me. Really, it's a lot of confidence that it takes to... To, to throw yourself out there and and even though you've been acting for years to to turn it on in a moment when when your fifth girlfriend has died I mean that's <laughs> that takes a lot was
2: that ever something you addressed or did you kind of like just go oh son of a bitch not another one
3: well I don't you know there's they they, they just tried to involve us right and they tried to they tried to raise the stakes <laughs> for us and I don't know and I don't know if there's a lot of other ways you can raised i suppose what do you think are there tons of other ways you could that you could make the stakes higher than here you are you're just trying to freaking be normal while you're chasing down <laughs> cursed antiques and have a girlfriend for crying out loud and next thing you know that's not working out that's <laughs> um
0: well there's another one know, dad
2: yeah. no no girlfriend soup for ryan sorry
3: I should have just lived as a monk, we should have all just lived as monks and and done our jobs and not tried to involve anybody else, but there was a real world supposedly out there as well.
0: Well, and that that plays into the real world, it's because you want to have a real life, but you have this commitment to stopping the evil, so what do you do? Do you put your, your own personal feelings first, or is it the job? Do you do the job or your life? And the show actually does a very good job of balancing that because it's drama. You know, as soon as a character is happy, you've got to snatch that happiness away to get them back on the track of hunting down the cursed items. And they did that a lot to all three of you, actually. Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. So, so it's not like they just picked on Ryan they they did it to everybody else too but but again that's that's storytelling it's the the best way to keep your characters going is keep make them happy and then take that happiness away
3: yes the uh, constant push and the pull and uh, right. you know there's, there's there's the upside and the downside of the life you've you've been built
0: mm-hmm you know. well, it's the hero's story. I yeah. mean, it, do you rise to the challenge or do you worry about your own personal needs? And sure, every now and then the hero does get a little selfish and will think about himself or herself. But ultimately, I mean, you know, storytelling wise, you throw your personal feelings aside and and it's all about the mission. It's all about the quest. Yeah. Yeah,
3: Absolutely.
2: This uh, this next question it's it's kind of strange. It's written in red crayon, as if perhaps by somebody left-handed, so as to disguise who it was written by. But it's it apparently says, "Tell us about the times you remember with Vanity."
3: I'm not <laughs> sure where that came from. I, I wish I could I wish I could could inform your fantasies a little bit more. <laughs> My <Mike. laughs> I, I remember she I did take a picture with her. I took a uh, she she graced me with a. With a back then, it wasn't selfies. It, well, we had the I had the the makeup woman with the the Polaroid camera come and take a couple of pictures of her. and she was so she, she was warm and fuzzy to me, Mike. I'm just going to let you know that she was <laughs> very she was. nice to me. <laughs> of course she was. Of course she was. But I just took that as <laughs> her being nice to me. I didn't I didn't think any more of it. But yes, I I appreciate the fact that she that she fawned on me for. Any amount of time that she did,
2: Mike. So there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, good. Checkbox on that question. That That's tremendous.
0: Well, I all I have to say is, yes, vanity, absolutely wonderful. But uh, my wife is a redhead. And the reason why I ended up marrying a redhead is because long time ago, back when I was younger, I had that harmless school schoolboy crush over another redhead. Mm-hmm and ronald mcdonald yes ronald mcdonald yeah exactly i love hamburgers (laughs) roby i have to say mickey foster as a character there and it, it it all depends on the the episode a lot of times it's the damsel in distress but the great thing about the show is is that a lot of the times they they twist that to where it looks like she's the damsel but then, oh no, no, she is capable of taking care of business. Especially as the series went on. And I, f- yeah. I, I find that as one of the earliest examples of a female character in a horror setting on television, I I don't think she gets enough credit for trailblazing as she should. There's, there's not a lot of talk about mickey foster as a strong female character in a horror series like they would talk about jamie lee curtis in the films of the of halloween and things like that
3: yeah i think i think you're absolutely right and, and you know that was all roby because this show was populated by um except for one exception male directors mm-hmm. male producers yeah male co-stars and at the time yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think anybody expected her to be more than just the damsel in distress, including myself. I, I you know, mm-hmm. I. But I remember countless occasions where I might, you know, take that step forward uh, in order to kind of defend Roby or whatever that is, whatever mm-hmm. whatever the scene felt like it needed, right? To play the stereotypical uh, protector. All right. And she, like, you know, she whether it was me or the directors she spoke out she she demanded that she you know be on equal footing and 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 that worked and yeah. she did yeah. a there's a, no and, question and, and she did a terrific job i think of setting an example for for countless of folks afterwards
4: for mm-hmm. sure
2: did, did you recognize any pushback from that just in general for when when those instances happened back then
3: when she would demand to be seen on equal footing yeah yeah absolutely yeah, there were eyebrows raised, and oh boy, here we go again. You <laughs> right. know, because we could just get done with the shoot, you know, or not, but now we gotta wait a minute. Now we gotta incorporate because really, you guys, you just have to get from point A to point B, and and, and we're out of here. But you know, but to but to she fought for her, she fought for it, and it and it worked, and it worked. Yeah,
2: there, there's several places inside of some of the episodes that nick and i have talked about it inside our reviews where it it was a it was a wonderful platform that easily had there been more than just 42 minutes in an episode been fleshed out a little bit
0: Mm -hmm. but the same thing goes with ryan not necessarily on the the opposite end but they could have written ryan as a character that could always handle whatever was thrown at him ryan dalian man of action and the fact that Ryan would would play would want to play the hero would be the hero but more often than not would actually fail at being able to to stop the evil in a physical manner kind of goes against the grain of what horror was back then because it was okay well send in the man he'll he'll save the day right. Not saying that Ryan um, Dalian was a wimp. I'm saying Ryan Dalian was presented like a normal real person and not an action hero.
3: Absolutely. He was an ordinary guy in extraordinary circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's how I saw him from the from the very beginning. And along with that comes comes vulnerability, comes right. failure and and being scared and yeah. and and being and, and doubting yourself. I mean, I hoped that he was a fully fleshed out character and three-dimensional, mm-hmm. uh, in spite of the fact that we were definitely, it's it very easily could have, all of us could have definitely easy, easily gone into like this two-dimensional kind of world where we're just, we're just there to let all this other stuff happen around us.
0: Yeah. I agree with so I that. I, like, I
3: also,
2: I, I appreciate that there was uh, always at least some semblance of self-preservation that was also shown by your character, which I think is too rare
3: self-preservation. In what way? How are you how are you speaking to that? There's something to be said for
2: hey, look at this ominous evil thing and just kind of standing there and doing nothing. Because I think that's one of the things that drives me away from horror. I I realize that you're surprised by something but the the fact of the matter is that while you can find samples of being horrified and being frozen in 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 sheer horror, yes. The fact is that all of us are going to haul ass. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so the self-preservation instinct is something that uh, Ryan shows quite often inside the program. Now, very often he ends up at the end of being flooded on the head or something when he does that. But there's plenty of times where he does
3: that. Yeah, absolutely. I hauled ass a lot. There was a lot of, there was a lot of spritzing
0: on John P. LeMay.
3: I would ask for a spritz all the time so that I looked like I was just got done hauling ass.
0: Oh, you're, so you're and saying you didn't do the profusely. Dustin Hoffman method of <laughs> running around the block to look like you were had been running for a long time? No, no. I said, "Where's the sprint? <laughs> How heavy am I breathing? Am I
3: breathing really heavy here, or just kind of heavy?"
0: Was kinda. it? One, did I run one block or five? Tell me. Tell exactly. me my distance. Yeah, breathing heavy. Exactly. No, that, that would be me during our
2: review of the Bauble episode. I'm pretty sure.
0: I been, understand, Mike. I uh, <sighs> that would have been. That would have All been right, mine. that's three. You get three per episode. Right. You've you've reached your limit. All right, I've reached my limit.
2: The the last See, question. Comedy only works. Comedy only works in three, Mike.
0: That's right. <laughs> I've I have I've told him that over and over.
2: You know, it's funny that we're moving on to the third character that we may have forgotten about because we're actually talking to him. But what most memorable thing do you remember? From your portrayal as Ryan Dalian, John LeMay.
3: What was the most memorable thing I remember from my I haven't gotten that question before. Of course you haven't. That's because um, we're an original podcast. Yeah. We're an original podcast, and we've got original questions. We can either do that,
2: or we can go back to the vanity questions. I mean, <clears throat> no, okay. That's four times, Mike. Four oh, times. it's not funny anymore. Sorry.
3: No, just kidding. It's funny. I like your obsession with vanity.
0: <laughs> Who doesn't? It shows you're,
3: it shows you're
2: human. <laughs> Where's my spritz at, man? That's all I can ask.
0: No, no. No spritz in here.
2: All right, Back to the
0: question.
3: My most memorable moment portraying the character. Mm. So, I'm going to put the question and say that, that, that indeed the whole experience it informs my life in many ways. No, you know what, Mike? I I can't even think of it. I'm I'm just going down
2: rabbit holes here. Well, I'll tell you what. The the, the the best answer when I ask questions like this is that I don't have an answer. And it's not because
0: I'd like to foam a friend.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. I would like to.
3: I, I need a I need a lifeline. <laughs> a lifeline.
2: <for> you. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry the budget doesn't allow for that yet, John, but uh, the, the the fact of the matter is that all that means is that we'll get to have you back. So that when you can answer that question, you can tell us all about it.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, once you figure out the answer to that question, then you can come back to the show. Wow. You know
3: what, I gotta say, I gotta say, none of this I've never liked talking about myself. That was another one of the, the issues that I had getting this job. I, I, I never felt necessarily comfortable with interviews. Mm-hmm. I never felt totally comfortable in my own skin. So in spite of the fact that I agreed to do this. My wife definitely saw me, you know, you know, questioning why the hell did I decide to do this. I mean, <laughs> I, I, uh, these are these are not easy questions for me to answer, especially when you do something as crazy as walk away from a television series. So these are not easy places for me to go because even though I've told you why I left, that 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 the reasons why I left they they've changed over mm-hmm. time. I, I yeah. keep thinking yep. of well, you know, these are. Uh, and, and it's and it's important for us all to 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 move forward and and get on with our lives and 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 not look in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. But you know, going on a show like this forces me to look in my rearview mirror, and it's not always the most comfortable place for me to go. Yeah, you know, because I do wish that it, it, that I had the tools back then to continue what I was doing. I was doing what I thought was best for me at the time, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. It's not something that i that I'm not that I still am a you know a little unsure as to what I was thinking you know so yeah, so there you are.
2: Perspective is one of the best tools I think we have as humans, and it it's so rare that you actually get the chance to go back and look at your own perspectives and so again i I love that you've taken the step of coming on to a program like ours to share inside of an experience like this one because it's why I podcast podcasting has yeah, well, captured perspective. And you've, you've shared exactly that inside of your statement.
3: Well, listening to the podcast has been, has been fun because honestly, those years were the, the experience was a blast. And I had some really good times inside that bubble, this family that um, I was working with for, for you know, two years and I'll never forget them. And then, like I said, they'll, that, that, that experience will inform me as I go forward, my, inform my life as I go forward and and will always be heck it's probably gonna show up on my damn obituary when I die. So <laughs> you know, I'm I'm very thankful for the experience, for sure. But it doesn't mean that it's not that it's not fraught with some introspection and regret, honestly. You know, I you know, people say that if you don't if you've never that they have no regrets.
0: I don't trust people who say of, that to me.
3: Yeah, I think I that's say, a bunch if of you've shit. you never had any regrets, wow, have you really lived?
0: Yeah, that's exactly.
3: Life is, life is all about making decisions and mm-hmm. choices. Yeah. And they're not all going to be right.
0: That's mm-hmm. for sure. You don't learn if you don't make bad choices and decisions. Right. Yeah. Well, let's stop looking in the rearview mirror. Let's face front through the windshield. I'm sure everybody wants to know what you're doing now.
3: Well, I like I said earlier, I hung my storm windows <laughs> on our He's our, taking our a brisk walk. Bungalow.
2: Brisk we, walk. My, my, windowing the my, house. My, my, got it.
3: My daughter and I hung up the storm windows. I'm also in the middle of a 200-hour um, yoga training program. Oh. So um, I've been I've been doing yoga my whole life, and just kind of wanted to dive in deeper. And I felt like the the global pandemic gave me an excuse to dive into that. So I'm studying virtually once a month. I meet with my Yogi and, and we have lessons in person, but yeah, otherwise my classes are, are all virtual, Mm. which is a lot. Actually it's a lot easier than dragging yourself down to the yoga studio. You just kind of roll out of bed and, and go into the spare bedroom and put on the, you know, the iPad and it's it's a a lot easier. So that's that. Um, I also have a video production company, you know, one of the things that 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 I've always had is uh, in my artistic life is whether it's painting. I was a painter or an artist in school and and a dancer. And I started out as a singer and then went into acting. But I've always also been a uh, journaler or chronicler, mm. and um, and and ultimately that all leads to being a storyteller. So I moved to Boise, Idaho, five years ago, and. And there's not much acting to be had here. And quite frankly, I, I didn't have the same impetus to, to to act that I had when I started acting 35, 40 years ago. Yeah. But I was at the time doing mini documentaries in Los Angeles for our theater company, uh, for their social media sites. And uh, I just turned that into a business when we moved here. And I love telling now other people's stories. Yeah you know because i don't like talking about myself so i love <laughs> i love i love telling other people's stories and highlighting in particular in particular i like to highlight the story of other other artists most recently i had one of my videos a short documentary a four minute documentary of an artist a muralist in downtown boise painting a fourteen story mural downtown during this pandemic mm, and yes. um it's a nice little video that was picked up by uh, a, a YouTube channel called black box global. They're, they're actually putting together a channel that just COVID stories, stories about stories, little documentaries uh, about the COVID experience from around the world. Yeah. And so I felt very honored to, to have them pick that up uh, recently. I'll give you the link to that. and Perhaps you can put it in your show notes. I'd love for everybody
0: to see it. It's Absolutely. Like four minutes long and, we will do that.
2: Yeah, that's great. I, I love that you're, you've are you gotten into what uh, equates to storytelling. It's, again, why I'm in podcasting. Well, there are many podcasts that feature Mike Wilkerson. There are also just as many, if not more, podcasts that don't feature me. Uh, again, to steal your word, the impetus to storytell is easily conveyed inside of the perspectives of other people with completely different skill sets than mine. Uh, Nick is a grand sample of that, where Two Guys Talking Horror, specifically, is not my ballywick. I I am not the horror guy, and I think it's what helps create the chemistry set of the Curious Goods podcast, because I'm not the horror guy. Uh, But I am in love with rich storytelling, and Curious Goods and Friday the 13th, the series is filled with rich storytelling that includes one Ryan Dallion portrayed by that guy right over there on the teleconference suite, John LeMay. John LeMay, how do people connect with you if you want people to connect?
3: Uh, you know what? I've got a Facebook page and i'm I'm always happy to to hear from from fans and John D. LeMay at Facebook.
2: Right, and we'll we'll link up to that as well inside the show notes for this episode. John, you are uh, not only a character but you are uh, a piece of living history for us here inside of the Curious Goods podcast that while we will not get to visit inside of the remaining episodes of season 3 we so appreciate you your character and what you've created over the course of two plus seasons inside that series
3: well thank you and thank you guys for again for for taking on the on the challenge of, of revisiting this uh, little this little horror gem from the late 80s like i said it was just it was just it's just been such a pleasure to hear you guys recap all of these episodes that i had the privilege to to take part in all those years ago thanks guys
2: so until next time i'm mike wilkerson one of your hosts and i'm nicholas j hearn your other host thanks for listening and we'll see you next time
1: thanks for listening to this episode of the curious goods podcast we are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed.
2: Ringy dingy, one ringy dingy. Is Nick there? Nick is here. I
0: am in fact here this time. Nick, that's
3: John Lemay. Nick. John Lemay, that's, that's the, Nick. The vo- the voice of Jack Marshak and many other characters. <laughs> nice to finally, nice to finally talk to you.
0: Yes, yes. This is this is definitely a treat for me.
3: You were a theater nerd in like high school and stuff, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. It, Who wants to it, know? It, it, it
2: continues.
3: <laughs> I think it uh, I think you mention I think you make mention of that on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Is it fall? It's fall there, right? The leaves are falling and yeah mm-hmm. yeah, all of the leaves are off my tree. In fact, when I'm done with this with this podcast, I'm gonna have to wrangle my wife and daughter who's visiting for the weekend to come out and help me rake up the uh, rest of the leaves.
0: It's ah, always a chore. No, I'm, I'm waiting
3: for my daughter to get married and bring her husband home and do <laughs> all those things for me in my old age.
0: We are going to rake these leaves like a family, and you're going to enjoy it.
3: i, I got to tell you guys, thanks for making me feel as comfortable as you possibly could. I, um, Like I said, I'm, I'm I, I am not one who likes to to talk about himself but it but it wasn't so painful with you guys so oh, i good. think you know you're part of the friday the 13th family for sure now Woo-hoo,
0: look oh. at that we're legitimate
3: Ooh, all right no, you totally are
2: <laughs> you totally are
3: yeah thanks again